Hello and welcome to IEEE Soft Robotics Podcast. In this podcast, we are going to interview researchers from Pulse Academia and Industry about their work, thoughts, spectrum, and more beyond that. This is Marwa Edwini, and I hope you will find this podcast useful. If you would like to connect with us, simply send us, and we will be happy to hear from you. And here is my interview. Thanks. Hello and welcome to IEEE Soft Robotics Podcast. Could you please introduce yourself? Hi, um, thank you very much, Marva, for the for the invitation. I am uh, Abdon Penafrancesc. I am a, a postdoc at the Max Planck Institute for uh, for Intelligent System in Stuttgart, Germany, and uh, an incoming assistant professor at the University of Michigan. Thanks so much, Abdon, and congratulations for your new position. Um, thank you, thank you. I would like to go back when you were a child. Do you have any memories when you were a kid who were interested in science or technology? Do you have any memories in your mind? Yeah, I think um, <laughs> I think every kid that was into, at least in my, back in my day, everybody was into sci-fi, right? And, and I was definitely interested in, in science, technology and, and, and robots. I think you know Star Wars and and uh, Terminator made a big you know big impact in in my generation, and uh, also uh, my father is an engineer, and uh, um, my mother also. But my father uh, used to work with with robots also. He was working at uh, at Ford, at the, the the car company, so um, that kind of drove me to you know studying um, engineering, and I did you know mechanical engineering. But then switch a bit more to the uh, material science. I did chemical engineering and material science for my masters and 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 PhD. That's wonderful. Yeah. So, do you have uh, any memories about what the first robot you built in undergrad school? Because you are mechanical engineering already, right? So I don't know. Yeah, I think I think probably it was a, a toy, a robot. <laughs> I think you know. I, I used to play with with Legos a lot, and I remember I had. Uh, um, I think it was one of those Technic uh, sets with. I think it was a a crane with a pneumatic arm, that it was uh, you know, very cool at the time. That you could actuate with some syringes and some little, you know, pneumatic systems. It was uh, um, um, to the young Abdon. It was the best toy in the world. So we had uh, uh, had a lot of fun with those. Now the the robots and the, the the pieces of robots that that I work with right now they're, they're slightly different than those. <laughs> How you got involved in soft robotics and soft material and it is after under under school undergrad? No, that was that was mostly through my through my postdoc here at the Max Planck Institute. Um, I'm by training. I'm a mechanical engineer, but I work mostly with materials. And uh, most of my work has been on material design, but uh, um, these materials that we do with dynamic properties, they um, they can solve many problems in in robotics, and that's how I got interested in in applying my my uh, background in in not only mechanical engineering but also in in chemistry and and, and material science for something uh, useful and exciting like soft robotics. Great, yeah. So before going to soft robotics details, I'm curious to ask you what is the most simple and beautiful profound equation that inspires you while you're working? Something stuck to you, to you when you work. Uh, <laughs> yeah. 
an equation. I'm, I'm sure everybody says Maxwell. Yeah, I don't know <laughs> so, why. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to try to say something different. Yeah. I think um, I really like equations that uh, uh, somehow they can relate the nanostructure or microstructures in mm. materials to their, their bulk properties. Right? For example, um, entropic elasticity theory, uh, the work by, by, by Flory in polymers physics, they, they, they can explain properties at the macro scale by uh, uh, if you study the, the chain polymer change conformation, for example. So to, to me, those, those simple equations are very powerful and very, very relevant to, to my work also. Wonderful. Yeah. So the question is how you would define soft robotics? since you have this uh, expertise now for more than two years, and especially you have a lot of expertise in materials, how you define soft robotics? Yeah, yeah I think uh, giving a, a very broad uh, definition, I think to me, a soft, soft robot is a, a, a robot or a machine that is, uh, is compliant and that it has some adaptive behavior being you know very broad right very very broad definition like changing the the its shape to move differently to perform some functions or adapt to their 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 environment right and i think that what is important within these definitions is uh, from my perspective is to realize the impact than the 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 robot design and its structure and its material uh, can have to, to program and control this adaptive behavior. That's, that is the area within soft robotics that I am most interested in. And concerning the question, what could be the most important question you have to consider while you start? You start your postdoc and you have to list the question. What could be this question that you have to consider in your research? Um, I think what's challenging about, uh, about soft robots is that, uh, to me, my big, the question that I want to, to uh, um, to work on in my research is how can we bring these robots closer to to living organisms, right? I think we're at the point where soft robotics is is getting a lot of attention and, and there's a lot of uh, excellent research coming out. But uh, uh, although we're every day we're one step closer to this, there's still a lot road a long road ahead ahead of us, right? How can we give these robots properties that are typically exclusive from living systems, like uh, some self-sensing, like some um, adaptation, some self-healing, for example. What happens when the robot is not useful anymore? How can we control its, its degradation? To me, these are, these are very important questions, and uh, this is very challenging, especially if you consider the timescales and length scales where these robots should operate. If you try to miniaturize these systems, it's quite challenging. So I think within this context, materials design, and especially uh, the design of biological materials, has uh, a lot to say. And this is the, the research direction that I am most interested in. I think you said a very interesting point, and it's really uh, loaded points. For example, that's your work already in, in self-healing uh, material and self-cleansing. Mm -hmm. If you can tell us about this design first, I think you're trying to bridge the gap between the robotics fight and the robotist and also material scientist. Do you think uh -huh. there's a missing gap? Because, for example, when you speak with the material science, how you design this material and you don't get an answer is like tweaking certain parameter. 
And then you go to robotic side, you need a model that can capture uh, the most significant yeah. parameter. And <laughs> you, tell, you are not a material scientist, you, you, are, you are a robotist, but come on, I, I, I need to get a, a descriptive model or design recipe. <laughs> and and yeah, that's yeah, missing, yeah. Missing, missing here. This is something makes confusion. I, I, I agree. I think there is, uh, um, there is, uh, there is a lot of crosstalk, which I think it's, it's good. A lot of collaboration between not only, uh, um, roboticists and material scientists, but, uh, you know, many other branches of, of, of science. But um, there is some gap in, in many things, not only in, in base knowledge, but also in the language that um, we, all, we all speak, right? Not, not like uh, English language, but on, you know, if, if you talk chemistry, somebody talks physics, right? I think, but I think it's important to, um, how can I say, to at least have interest or, or understand at the basic level what uh, um, what's going on in other branches of, of science, right? I think that helps not only that helps to uh, how can I say to identify interesting problems that you can contribute with your characteristic uh, um, skill set, and it helps framing the, the the question. In in my case, and as a material science, what uh, what I like is um, uh, we joked about this in the lab, taking things to the to the extreme, right? If I'm making a material, I want it to be the I don't know. If I'm if I'm looking for adhesion, the most adhesive uh, material, and understand what's the underlying mechanism from that, right? Um, since you mentioned this work in self-healing, right? We we target uh, great performance, right? And once we understand the the underlying physics what's the mechanism that is giving us this this performance then we can get into designing and optimizing the, this material for specific applications or, or for specific uh, um, um, let's say design parameters for a for a robot for example yeah i think and i would like to go again for self-healing if you can tell to uh -huh. our audience uh -huh. beginning uh why self-healing is important so robotics of course it I think what makes your paper, uh, I think, maybe uh, different, I think that timing for the healing is almost in real time. And that's something I think uh, was astonishing. But maybe you can go before and tell us what exactly we're doing with self-healing material. Yes, ab absolutely. Um, I think self-healing is, is very important for, for soft systems. If you compare it with, uh, um, you know, classical robots, right? One of the main advantages of robots is that they're compliant and they are flexible, so they they can withstand uh, um, impact forces and some large deformations that will kill a, a classic, uh, let's call it rigid robot, right? But on the other hand, because they are soft, they are vulnerable to different, different type of, of damage, right? cutting, uh, uh, piercing, rupture damage, and uh, um, because of their, uh, let's say, inherent softness, right? So um, over the years, there has been um, great research done in the field of, of self-healing materials, right? And there are many different uh, chemistries that can, uh, that can help with this through, I don't know, uh, disulfase bonds, 
dynamic bonds, hydrogen bonding, etc., etc. There are many, many materials available, and uh, um, there have been already some demonstrations on how how uh, self-healing materials can be implemented in robotic platforms to 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 make some self-healing uh, robots that can be repaired after damage. Right? There's this great great work by uh, Bram Vanderbrod or Rob Shepard that are a uh, um, landmark and very inspirational papers to, to us. Um, however, many of these available or, or these uh, classic um, self-healing materials, they have some limitations that are important when you consider integrating it into, into a robotic platform. For example, the, the strength of the, of the healing, the kinetics, and the energy input. I think these are all uh, the, there are three parameters that are key in, in whether the robot is practical or not. Right? If you have a robot that is damaged and to recover the, the function, you have to wait for, wait for two days. Um, maybe, depending on the application, maybe you don't care. But if it's something that is critical, um, it's not very practical. Right? So I think um, from our point of view, we're looking to address this challenge, how we can make something that heals uh, very fast and that this healing is very, very strong, right? So um, what I, I have been working for, for quite a while in protein materials and specifically from, uh, from squids. So this, these materials have a very interesting um, amino acid sequence that give you interesting healing properties. Um, they form uh, reversible bonds through, through hydrogen uh, bonded uh, nanostructures. So what, what we did uh, in this recent work is we, we look at different species of squids, we identify their, their amino acid sequences and using synthetic biology, we came up with a optimized, uh, let's call it a master sequence uh, inspired in, in nature, in these squid animals. And we created a set of materials, like a library, if you want, that can give you this uh, a very good uh, performance. We can get uh, megapascal strength in like one second of, of, of healing. And uh, this, this, to us, this opened the, the, opens the door for many applications, not only in robotics, but also in personal protective equipment. But I think um robotics is a is a is a field that uh, where these materials can have a lot of a lot of impact i think we have to uh, that's very important i think we have to break it again in, in point you said for example mm -hmm. uh, someone mm -hmm. maybe argue what kind of scenario i can have for uh, damaging soft robot is it a cutting or maybe a fracture or because it, it started, I don't know if you, uh, I don't know what, what kind of material you think could do, develop micro cracks and then go to delamination and, and fracture. So what could be the scenario you think uh, for uh, your self-healing robot that could be degradable? What could be the scenario? Is it a cutting or is it a internal damaging happening due to cyclic movement? That's a very good point um, because you know, by definition, right? Uh, uh, if you want to heal some damage, that will depend on the type of damage, right? <laughs> is it uh, is it uh, um, electric uh, discharge? Is temperature? Is it as you're saying cutting, right? All of these all of these they have different 
type of they create different type of defects in your in your materials, right? In uh, um, what what we have been working until now and in this recent paper uh, uh, of us is on uh, pneumatic actuators because I think pneumatic actuation is maybe arguably the the one of the most established in soft robotics. And the problem that this has is is that if you have a, a defect like a small puncture or, or or cut, the system is depressurized and then you kill the functionality the functionality right. So for us that was uh, um, we we look at different type of damages. We we tortured our our actuators. We we looked into cuts like completely ripping apart the actuator. We look at uh, uh, whole type of defects like puncturing with needles trying to replicate um on how can i say uh, uh whatever you can find in a dynamic environment right whether it's uh, with sharp objects with these pointy objects we're trying to see how resilient our, our uh, and how resistant to this damage our material was in our case um we haven't looked that much into um into fatigue and over many cycles um, of operation of the robot. We have done many cycles of healing, but uh, since you brought it up, I think it's a good point on how, how these materials and how these robots or actuators um, get damaged over time. This is something that we haven't, we haven't looked into, but this is def definitely something very, very interesting. And do you think the scale of damage, for example, you have to go f to detect that uh, next question for the sensing before going to healing cycle and application. So you need to make sure two questions here, how you can sense uh, the damage and also functionality, how, how we can have, for example, um, a soft robot, there is damage happening in one part and it still can function. Uh, if we speak about uh, um, something could be reliable and still function even if uh, uh -huh. damage happening. Uh, that's something similar to structures when you have a structure for building and, and if when something collapses, you still have the other other structures available. Yes. But do you yeah. think for sensing, uh, the first question, what kind of sensor you can develop? Uh, do you think it's related to the level of the damage? Is it a micro cracks or just a fracture? Do you think that's something important to consider the sensor design for detecting damages before healing? I think that that is a, a very good question. Um, ideally, um, in a perfect scenario, right, you wouldn't or you will not be very concerned if you can have autonomous fast healing right away, right? But uh, unfortunately, we're, we're we're still a bit a bit far away from that. Um, but this is a very good question, and I think this. This depends not only on the on the material, but also on the, the design of your robot. Um, what type of uh, actuation you have, right? Is it if you have pneumatic actuation versus uh, some magnetic or electric actuation, you can have some damages that will kill the actuator in on on one case, but will will not in the other, right? So I think. That is a uh, that is a a bit of a broad question. I think that there's there's excellent work uh, recently done by, by um, Carmel Majidi at uh, uh, Carnegie Mellon on um, 
on soft robots actually that they can um, you know they can sense the the, the their self heal self sensing for the damage and they can still uh, function when the damage is 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 done. I think it was uh, a year or a couple of years ago. I, I don't remember, but uh, there's there's also a lot of attention in this in this area. I think that in the long run, I think the the I will expect these two areas to be to emerge to have a completely autonomous system that can um, can sense the damage and and autonomously uh, heal. That's a great. So the last part in this healing, do you think that there's a trade-off? Because what you did is, is spare in the time, the time of time to take to heal, and just in real time. Do you think there's a trade-off? Is this something come uh, as a trade for uh, the mechanical performance? Or that's not, nothing really concerning, since is it degradable as end of the day? Um, there is a trade-off um i think but i think that depends on on the um on your robot design right i think what what uh, um from the material science point of view right um what we like to do is find out how far we can get what's the maximum let's say for example and then find out how why we get there and how we can get anywhere in the map of performance right and from that then we can design the material for a specific um, application or for a specific target for our for our robots right i think that uh, there is uh, um, there are some trade-offs in the kinetics of the healing you can play with temperature you can play with uh, how you you build the robot thickness of your um, for example your encapsulating chambers all these all these design parameters um, come after the material, right? So I think you can more or less pick up pick the best of both worlds if you play with the um, with the right material design and robot design as well. Great. So um, if I ask you for the challenges or limitation, you you still have work on. Of course, the paper is very interesting work. Uh, and uh, I think there's a lot of opportunities for degradable soft robotics that I can heal. But what could be the challenge and limitation you have? Yeah, I think that that's a that's a good question. Um, what the challenges that I see and that I'm interested in in working next are on first on how to extend these uh, um, functions from biological systems into into synthetic systems right like we're talking about self-healing here right but um having this biomimetic or, or this biological function incorporated in here bring more challenges in you know what type of functions are we uh, do we want to do and what kind of uh, energy storage what kind of actuation are we are we going to have right and i think this is this is um, an area that is quite ripe with opportunities but what it's very interesting for um for me at this this point also is how this interacts with the with the body and how is it gonna degrade not only for the environment but ideally if we can have these self-healing robots or these let's say um biological um uh, robots if they're gonna go inside our body for uh, um 
potential medical applications, we need to be careful with many things, right? Um, how are they, are they going to be degradable? Are they biocompatible? Are they going to create an immune response in our body? So I think all these um, all these parameters, all these puts a puts a huge constraints and and huge limitations on the designs and actuation um, mechanisms and in the the materials that we have available to build these robots. So I think. That is um, is a very exciting area that that I'm, I'm I'm planning on working next. That's great. So I'm, I want to stress again because in your paper you're focusing on the morphology, and that's something I uh -huh. think very important. And we had the, the first of robotic debate about whether we have to deep understanding of the morphology and how can contribute in enhancing the control design. So mm -hmm. if you can tell us uh, from your expertise how the morphology computation plays a significant role in designing uh, soft material. Yes, I think um, in my case, um, I think we, we talk about a different type of morphology. <laughs> I think um, morphology is great for uh, um, to remove or to facilitate the, the, the computational cost in the control of the, of the robots. But uh, um, what we are aiming in morphology control um, is at the material level. So one of the reasons that we, we achieve that uh, very good performance in, in self-healing is because we, we play with the, um, let's say, molecular morphology right, of the material. So basically, what we're doing is we found a way using synthetic biology and using a, a self assembly process to create these, uh, these protein based materials um, to control how the nanostructure uh, in the material is, is, is formed. We had the reason um, beneath all the, the self healing mechanism is because we have a semi crystalline structure with uh, some um, reversible crystals that are like two to three nanometers in size, more or less, um, that um, the big challenge that we had is how to control and how to make sure that these crystals that act as cross-linking points are very well connected to, the, to, to their neighbors. So we have an, uh, let's call it an elastomeric network. So this for us, that was a morpho network morphology control at the, the protein or at the molecular level, right? So I think this control gives us uh, um, some wiggle room to design the, the performance of the material and the, the ultimate properties that we want by playing with the, the molecular design. That's a good point. I think that leads to the question again of the classical question, which level we have to go for in that case? Do you think microscopic or Continuum, because now you go into the microscopic, I think, level. And when someone just from robotic side asking you what could be significant parameters I can ex I can take from you and can help me in design this scenario, do you think we have to go and merge both of them, continuum and microscopic, and get some insightful parameter? But that's a challenging because that's it, challenging. It is. It is. I think. But um, you you mean microscopic from the from uh, from modeling? Yeah. I th yeah yeah. I think 
yeah, that's a, that's that is a problem because <laughs> there, there's there's it's difficult to have uh, uh, reliable models that uh, can describe your your system, you know, across length scales and time scales also, right? So in that case, uh, in that case, I'm not sure. That's a big question because I'm I'm. I don't have a classic um, controls background or modeling background. I'm more of an experimentalist. So I think th these are these are questions that uh, in, in our case um, we have modeled our our, uh, our systems through you know collaboration, especially for the for the robotics part, right? So we can we can do modeling for the material level, right? But to have these models extended on the performance of the robots, that's that's uh, that's very interesting direction. So I'm curious to ask you, what is an area or direction of research you think is very promising, but maybe soft robotics community seems to disagree, give much attention to it at the moment? Hmm. Um, I think, I'm not sure, because soft robotics community is very, very diverse. <laughs> I think tra traditionally, um, um, soft robotics was very computer science and 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 double e dominated and the materials design part was uh, uh, in robotics was was maybe a bit ignored but uh, um, for in the recent years there's uh, not only materials uh, but also other disciplines are merging together with biology with uh, um, all kinds of stuff so I think it's a very diverse area that uh, I think it's very ripe for uh, for opportunities for collaboration, and I think that in in at least in my experience, most of the um, how can I say innovation or most of the innovative and exciting ideas have come from interdisciplinary projects, right? So you can um, see a problem that you are stuck very differently if you look from a perspective of uh, i don't know some other discipline right so i think that is an area that is very very ripe for for uh, uh, for collaboration and what could be misconception you have witnessed or something maybe concerning to you maybe misconception someone misperceived what you're doing or we saw something maybe misconception general misconception uh -huh. in the field i think yeah i think um I don't know if misconception is the is the the word, but I think um, this is my personal view at least. I think that uh, uh, we have some kind of dogmas or uh, some uh, some things that we take for granted sometimes, uh, and you know, we as a community are uh, uh, maybe a bit guilty of it sometimes. Things like uh, um, soft soft robots are safe. Yeah. Um, Period, <laughs> right? Or you know, soft robots will replace uh, the you know, the materials will replace controls. These kind of things that uh, uh, are sometimes taken out of context and they're a bit absolutist. I think, right? Because uh, I think I don't see um, you know, soft robots are great, but at least today they can cannot do everything, or they are not necessarily better than other approaches because they are they are soft right i think uh, um i like to look at, uh, at materials and, and robots as uh, you know trying to find the the right tool for the right job rather than have 
uh, jack of all trades uh, system, right? And I think that um, statements like this, they you know they can be easily taken out of out of context, and I think they don't you know they kind of simplify and sometimes we overclaim a bit a bit too much as a as a community. I agree with you. Yeah. And I'm curious to ask you, do you think as a community, we fully understand the smart material, how it behaves? Why well, I ask this question? Because, of course, of course, you said, I think you highlighted in, your, in, in the earlier in the, in the podcast, but I, I'm curious to ask you this question because sometimes when you apply a control technique, sometimes you don't really know what's the feature of this material. I'm speaking for viscoelastic material, for example. Nonlinear, uh-huh, uh-huh. and do you think we understand the material because you wanted to force just certain behavior, and maybe it's destroying the material behavior? Do you think something is really happening, or maybe it's wrong? When uh, you- uh, yeah, that's <laughs> that's tricky. I think it's a yes or no type of answer. I think right because we we understand many things at the materials level um, and also at the uh, the controls level but um, we're not there yet right we have very advanced robots but there's still a long long road ahead right so yes we understand but not enough i think right which is good because then you know we have we have exciting work to do but uh, uh, from uh, following your question on can controls kill the, the material um, that I think that depends. I think since you mentioned, for example, viscoelasticity and nonlinearity, right? I think that these things are not really good or bad per se. I think from a from a um, fundamental science perspective, nonlinearities are, are are very interesting, but they might be good for your robot. They might be very, you know, they might mess with with your function. I think that depends on what your what your what's the application and what's the function of 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 your robot, right? So I will say not necessarily, but it's definitely something that is that is very very interesting from both the fundamental uh, uh, research and also. The, from the the robot design. I'm That's a very excellent point. And um, uh, maybe I can ask you again in in your scenario, what kind of linearities you should keep or remove? Something example you have been working on for students for listening to us. Yeah. yeah oh, that's a that's a very it's a very broad question. <laughs> since uh, uh, for example, since we are um, we have been talking about the, the self healing project, for example. I think non-linearity there, uh, um, since we are working with these proteins, right? These proteins are very um, sensitive to their environment, right? So as an example of what we're just discussing, that non-linearity can be good or can be bad, right? Um, Things like humidity, things like uh, uh, pH in the surrounding environment, temperature, these things can really... Or, or deformation. If you stretch too much, then you can have some memory effects in your in your in your materials. These things can really affect your performance. In this case, your your output, for example, right? Like self healing. But if you but this can be something that you could use in your advantage. I think from uh, um, from the materials point of view, 
this uh, stimuli responsiveness of these materials is very attractive, but can be good because it can add, can add uh, additional functionalities to your robot, or it can be bad because then um, control is, is a disaster because it's doing weird things and you don't know why, right? So I think that is why I think both fundamental and, and applied research in this case are, are, are very important. And where's any direction you thought would work out very well, but when you work in the lab, proved something maybe interesting and you didn't expect it. You were planning to get something uh, like a response or a response, but it was surprising for you and interesting. Oh, this, this happens all the time. <laughs> this happens all the time. I think this is one of the things that uh, um, is not, is not um, often advertised too much about research, right? But it's, 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 it is very important to learn how to, how to fail, <laughs> I would say, and how to, how to adapt to that. Because it's, it's, it's called research for a reason, right? <laughs> I, can give, I can give you many, many examples of something that uh, we're expecting. And this has happened to me a lot, especially when working with biological materials. Uh, and you go walk into the lab thinking, okay, I'm going to do this because blah, 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 blah. And it doesn't work. Or you get something different, right? I think a specific example, uh, for example... During my PhD, I was working on, I was trying to make some nanostructures for some uh, um, liquid repellent um, surfaces. And uh, I couldn't do it because the material was, uh, um, I couldn't fabricate it because there were some, some problems with the fabrication because the material was very sticky. So we figured out a way to take that uh, to, 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 use that for our advantage and we developed an, an adhesive with that material. So I, th I think it's, uh, uh, there's a lot of, um, how can I say, the material science is there, but I think looking at it from different approaches and especially on what kind of um, function or application are you looking into, that will give you a very broad uh, um, options on, on what to use your, your, your material for. And that leads to the question, what are the biggest technological roadblocks that could face off robotics in short term and long term? I see. Um, I think um, a big roadblock that I am, I am interested, I think we, we briefly talked about this before, is the, um, within the context of bringing um, Func functionalities from biological systems to synthetic systems, I think energy and actuation is one one problem. Um, how you can how you can store energy in your robot? Um, what is the autonomy? What's the kinetics of your robot? This is a problem, and especially if you consider that uh, um, for robots that might be used in our body for medical application or in the environment. Because I think this um, requires a different set of materials, different set of, of solutions, right? And especially not only when they have to interact with our body and they have to be biocompatible, they have to be non-immunogenic, they have to be biodegradable, but also they have to be small if they can go inside our body, right? So 
um, physics at the micro scale are a bit, but they're, they're the same physics, <laughs> but uh, some, let's say, some things uh, are more important than others, right? For example, in the micro scale, things like uh, surface tension, um, adhesion, uh, drag, they dominate, right? So then the, on one hand, the design of your robots has to change drastically. It's not uh, very intuitive, but also you have to think on how are you going to fabricate and how are you going to actuate if you don't have the space for classic um, electronics in there. So I think these are these are uh, big roadblocks that will will. Um, it's a very exciting area to work on, and it will bring these synthetic uh, uh, systems closer to to biological organisms. That's great. So since you'll be uh, a PI in a couple of months, I, I assume, how will you ensure that the robotic you will develop will be beneficial to humanity as a whole? When you bring the, the funding you or grants, you just think this discussion on the table, how what we develop in the lab is going to be uh, beneficial after four years, five years. Is this something, do you think that point seriously discussed in the community in general and for you as well as a BI? I, I think I think it should. <laughs> I think it should, right? Because uh, um, I think it is important to uh, combine fundamental research and uh, applied engineering type of research, right? Because in the end of the day, um, if you develop uh, some new theory, you develop some new material, and you know no one is going to use it. Is great. You get a paper, but but what's the point, right? What is the what impact can you have, right? And I think that for uh, um, especially for the case the, the the case of of robots, there's um, there's no right or a wrong robot, right? Uh, uh, there there are robots that that work, are robots that that don't work, robots that perform and robots that that cannot perform, right? So I think that this is, is all very um, application-oriented. And I think it's important to, to, to close the gap between, between fundamental and, and applied engineering to kind of have a, um, how can I say, like a comprehensive type of, of projects that you can develop new knowledge uh, that it can have a direct impact in, in, in society. Yeah, great. And... I'm curious to ask you about um, how we can enable more inclusive culture around combative ideas. Since we, we say that we have a grant of funding and there's also severe competition in, in, in academia. And, and uh -huh, that's a uh -huh. question here, how we can make sure that there's no one group is dominant in, in certain approach or techniques uh, and give opportunity to different approaches and ideas and be more inclusive in the community. How you, how you think this is, uh, realistically speaking, is already applied, or and how we can enhance it, uh, inclusive, uh, intellectual inclusiveness as well? Yeah, that, 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 that's a good question, and uh, I'm not sure I have an answer for that. Because <laughs> uh, um, it is true. I think inclusivity in, it's, is important in research, and basically... Um, how can I say the the work that we do as researchers and and engineers 
at the end of the day, it doesn't matter if no one else can can use it or replicate it, right? If I write a paper and I keep it in in a drawer, it, what's the point, right? So I th I think it's 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 good that uh, um, everybody has access to the resources and and to the the, the education to develop uh, these these ideas on 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 their own. How we can do that as a as a, a society and a, a research community? That I am not sure because that uh, that involves you know funding agency. Uh, um, it's uh, I think uh, a good start is that the, I mean, they say um, think global, act local, right? Start with yourself, start within our own uh, research group, and with our own neighbor community, right? Neighbor meaning you know close collaborators, and try to to be as inclusive as as, as possible. Yeah, great. And we close and we have a few questions. Uh, from mm -hmm. your experience, mm -hmm. where innovation comes from? Uh, while you work in new material or designing, what inspires you and makes you innovative? Um, I think in my case and in my experience, innovation has come from, from uh, um, interdisciplinarity. Right? Looking, looking at some problems uh, from from different perspectives, right? And I think this is the the classic example of uh, um, biomimetics and bioinspired materials, right? I think that um, as engineers, we have a, a, how can I say, a history of making things in a very aggressive way, right? We cut, we, we, we hit things, we, we burn things to make, uh, you know, the fabrication, uh, and engineering from the industrial revolution until until recent years has been pretty, um, how can I say, um, pretty aggressive and pretty energy demanding, right? But we see that in nature we have crazy designs, very effective, very functional that don't don't use any of these uh, uh, materials or any of these uh, highly energy demanding uh, processes. Right, they rely more on self-assembly, for example. So I think, in my case, looking at nature has giving has given um, a lot of inspiration to myself and to many other um, scientists in in the in, in the materials community. Yeah, and maybe it's a question here about the machine learning opportunities for smart material design. What could be the opportunities? Do you think, since it's black box model, and sometimes you say you need to a level of understanding. So what could be the opportunities integrating machine learning with material design? I think that there are, there are many. And, and uh, um, machine learning can really help both at the you know, materials level and in the robotics level, right? And especially when it gets together, there's plenty of work on, on uh, materials discovery using uh, machine learning, but also in since we're talking about soft robots, uh, um, I think there's a it's an area that is very exciting for for machine learning, especially since if we use these um, weird soft materials that are very difficult to control, I think machine learning can tell us a lot on how to um, optimize it and, uh, and not only optimize it for a specific function, right? Maybe we can use this material for things that we don't that they're not intu intuitive to us and we can do something completely completely different right 
I think uh, um, my my colleague here at Max Planck Institute, uh, um, Utku Chula, is a, 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 a postdoc here is working on exactly this kind of stuff, and it is a very exciting area. And I think you know I'll, I'll recommend if someone is interested to to look uh, um, look up his recent publications because I think this is a a very exciting area. That's great. Yeah. So there is three question, quick questions. Do you think mm -hmm, ego mm -hmm. is important for the researcher? Ego. Ego, <laughs> ego is important. I think probably important is not the word I will say, I think. <laughs> I think um, in research is, uh, is, in one way, research is a creative job, right? And I think as I think it, it's a good thing that uh, uh, as researchers we are involved and committed to a to a project, right? Because it's very it's a very it's a creative process, right? So I think that in in that sense, uh, ego or uh, I wouldn't call it ego, but maybe self accomplishment, it's a it's a good thing because it's something that you that you know that you made, and I think it's a. a, a driving force for the, the research. Um, but ego, as in someone being arrogant, I think that uh, that is a problem, right? Because th then, you know, I have in, in, in throughout my career, I have seen, I have met many, many arrogant people and very, very humble people. So it's a matter of each, you know, each personality. We, we have a we have a saying in, in, in Spanish that will tra translates to something like, you know, the, the, the smallest dogs are the ones that bark the, the loudest, like the, make, the ones that make more noise, because the big dogs don't care, <laughs> right? So I think, um, jokes aside, you know, we should, you know, we should care about the science and we should care about, about others to help them only not on what their their opinion or their opinions towards us or what's the, their perception of, of ourselves i think um, we shouldn't take ourselves too too seriously and be more more inclusive right the, the tent is big let's all work together i think that's something that i you know i try to apply to my my both professional and, and private life too so since now you will have your inspired material lab at michigan university you're looking for i think the group the most important question, what kind of people looking for to join your lab? Ah, I think um, people excited about research, people that are, um, that don't, as we were saying, don't take themselves too seriously. I think, um, I think what is very, like in my experience, what it has made a big difference to, to me and to my colleagues is to work in a, a a research environment that is very open-minded, very inclusive, when everybody can share ideas, and uh, um, that we can have fun. I know this can sound cheesy, <laughs> but um, that was that was true for my case, right? If if I don't think, no, not a single scientist goes into you know does research for the for the money or for the fame, right? Because that that is a very rare, right? So we do it because we like it. And because it's fun, right? So I think that is the the, the foundation 
of every uh, um, successful and inclusive uh, um, lab. And I think that that is uh, I'm looking for people that 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 uh, will thrive in an environment uh, uh, like this that are you know no egos no you know easy easy peasy work and where good communication is 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 essential and what would be the one quality you have to maintain when you being in academia something you have gained and you think it's very important to maintain in your journey in academia one quality i think um i think learning learning how to fail and uh, and normalizing rejection is something that uh, for the sake of your mental health <laughs> you you need to you know you need to learn right because this is it's a very competitive field uh, uh sorry very competing competitive career and unfortunately rejection happens every day right so i don't think you know we need to take it we need to take the the um, criticism in a very constructive way look look at it as opportunities to improve but not take anything personal it's just you know it's part of the job the job unfortunately so i think this is something that that uh, um, we all need to normalize that's a good very good point yeah and lastly what was the best advice was given to you whether personally or professionally and was it life changing for you um i think the best advice was, uh, yeah, was, you know, but we're talking a second ago. Don't take yourself too seriously. That was uh, it's a funny, funny story, actually. I, I, I was uh, teaching at Penn State um, a large uh, dynamics class. And right after me, there was uh, um, Arthur Lesk. He's, he's a big guy in bioinformatics. He was teaching a, a big biochemistry class. And he will come... <laughs> Uh, he will come a little bit before his class while I was still teaching and just just make some time there. So I I had this guy's books. Probably he doesn't remember about, about this, but I I, I read these papers. Uh, I you know I, I had his books. I follow his work, but I had no idea on how he looked like. So I didn't know that that guy was uh, was the professor Arthur Lest, right? So. In between classes, we're just talking, and, and you know, I used to bring um, when we had exams. I used to bring some candy, some lollipops for for the, for the students, and you know, he will try to to steal some of the candy, right? So we were joking. So it, we had a bit of a uh, I don't want to say in friendship, but uh, uh, you know, fun interactions between between classes, right? Um, and none of us had any idea who the other person was. So at some point. He he won a huge award. I don't remember exactly, but uh, you know his face was everywhere in the university uh, on you know on TV on all the emails. So I realized, like you know, I have been playing around with uh, with this big guy, right? So I I went to congratulate himself, and he told me, like, yeah, but you know who who cares? You, if if you knew before, we wouldn't have you know been joking around, right? So you know he he said. I don't remember the exact words, but it was something like uh, uh, treat your science with, you know, be super serious about your science, but 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 not about yourself. Don't take your, yourself too, too serious, right? Uh, we, how can I say, um, everybody can do research, but, you know, we're all smart. Be be yourself, be, be interesting, right? I think he kind of put into words, it was a good example of, of, of you know, uh, uh, 
how to, you know, what makes a, a, a good researcher um, for me. Someone that is, is, is good at, at research, but also is, is human. <laughs> that's a very brilliant point. And example, as a story, I think that's something we have to keep in mind because sometimes we forgot, forgot that sometimes. But you absolutely right. And yeah, I really like what you said. Yeah. So do you have any final words you would like to say for the community? Final words. Uh, thank you very much for the, for the invitation. It's been a, a, a pleasure to be to 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 be a small part of this podcast uh, it's something that i listened to it before uh, and not not all of them because there's <laughs> there is a, a lot of very interesting episodes but uh, i i had listened to them before before this and and it's uh, it's an honor to be to be to be part of this and, thank you and it's all yeah, just, the same thank you uh, so thank much. you very much thank you it was really informative and enjoyable i really enjoyed this discussion thanks so much thank you thank you very much Thank you.